You've seen it on the back of a magazine. You've thought about it yourself, probably. On the back of Bon Appetit, that question. If you could invite anyone to dinner, who would you invite? Who are the top five people of any time frame or era that you would invite to dinner if you could? The list is usually includes interesting and spectacular people, life-changing, inspiring people, against all odds, full of truth, wisdom, and insight, remarkable people like Billy Graham, Oprah Winfrey, Abe Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. An evening with just one of these guys would open your minds and touch your hearts. But what if we were to ask a very different kind of question? What if we took an unconventional approach to our next dinner party? Who are the five people you don't want to invite to dinner? Even if they were the last five people on earth, you still would not want to spend an evening with these people. Now, what if these were the first five people to show up to your table? Is there a place for me at your table? A bowl, a fork, a knife, a spoon. Is there a place for me at your table? Because I'm black, I'm white, I'm old, I'm young, I don't speak your language, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm fat, I'm too skinny, I'm hungry, and I'm thirsty, and I'm tired. Am I invited? Is there room for me at your table? Is there room for me? I'm hungry. Is food warm? Prison's cold. What's the matter? Am I invited to sit with you? You. You're that guy. I have seen your crimes. I've seen your violence. I've seen your face on the TV and in the newspaper. What you did. What kind of person could do such a thing? I don't even know you and I don't want to know you. I'd rather see you go hungry than feed you. Why would I invite you to my table? No reason. I'm not like you. I'm different. But I've made you angry, and I've made you sad, and I've made you cry, and I know I've made you laugh. But you don't even like me. Am I invited? You? You give me nothing. You don't say anything. You don't do anything. If I invited you, there would be no words, no laughter, no tears, nothing. I wouldn't have to spend time preparing the food, dicing the vegetables, or kneading the bread. Why won't you answer me? Why do you 
to make me feel so guilty. I didn't mean to hurt you. But you hurt me now much more by all of your nothingness. I can't invite you to my table. Is there a place for me at this beautiful table, a bowl, a fork, a knife? I could help you put it all together. I have so many great ideas. Don't you want to hear? Is there a place for me? You? You're prettier than me. I'll never look like you. You're taller than me, you're smarter than me, you're better than me, you probably throw a better dinner party than I ever will. If you come, then I'll disappear. Because when you're around, nobody notices me. Everyone is drawn to how fun you are and to your vibrant personality. There's no room for you at my table. You're scared that I'll embarrass you. Maybe tell a stupid story. <laughs> Maybe even tell the truth. Talk about things nobody wants to talk about at the dinner table. The big elephant in the middle of the room. That's right, the big fat pink elephant on the dining table. He's sitting there on my plate. He's crushing your flowers, spilling the wine, and of course, I'm drunk. You lied to me. You made promises that you broke. In the name of love, you broke every promise. And you shattered my dreams. You broke me. Well, I was broken. Not anymore. And now, how can I invite you to my table? I can't feed you. No, I'm not going to. I don't care how thirsty you are, I am not going to give you a glass of water to drink. And I don't care how hungry you are, I am not going to give you a bowl of rice to eat. I am not going to do it. I am not. I don't want your food. I don't want your kindness, your hospitality. I want your friendship. It's lonely on the streets. Can I have your friendship? Can you sit with me? Can I be your friend, not another charity act? I didn't think so. What, what, did you say something? How can I make room for you at my table? Is there a place for me? As a friend? Am I invited? How can I forgive you? Just one meal? How can I feed you? My love isn't deep enough. <laughs> 
My heart isn't big enough. Is there a place for me? To love you. Am I invited? To forgive you. May I come? You can come. A place for me? I'll invite you, but I hope you won't come. I'm invited. But in case you come. I want to come. There's a place. A fork, a noose, spoon, a knife, a place. A place? For me? Even me?
That really is the question that we wrestle with. Is there a place? And perhaps the bigger question is, will we have the heart of God? For people in our world that are very different than us, people that make us mad, people that irritate us, people that push our buttons, for that family member that you've already started to think about the holidays and Thanksgiving and you dread seeing them, will you love them the way the Father does? That guy at work that pushes all your buttons that you wish he'd just seriously drop dead some point or at least quit, will you love him the way God loves him? Will you have his heart? For that neighbor who has all the garbage in his yard or the ugly cars out front or the dog that barks all night long, will you love him? Will you have the heart of God for people that are far from him and far from you? Our worship pastor, Joe, told me a story this week that I want to pass on to you because it's it classic. <laughs> he uh, went out to mow his lawn. Like me, he hates doing yard work. Now, I know some of you love doing yard work. God bless you. <laughs> Feel free to come to my house anytime. But I, I, don't, I do not, it does not, some of you get filled up and it's, you know, you just live for those moments in the yard. It's a drag. I hate it. I put it off as long as I can. And, but I do it because I've got money invested in my yard and I've got to take care of it. And, and uh, Joe's the same way, hates doing yard work. Well, this last week, Joe goes out to mow his lawn, dutifully goes out to do what he needs to do to get the lawn looking nice. Walks out, and the first thing he notices, six or seven piles, pardon my French, of dog poop right there in his yard. Six or seven piles. Now, here's something you need to know. Joe does not own a dog. It is not his dog that has done this. And so Joe is really getting pretty irritated. He's already not happy about having to mow his lawn, and now he's got to clean up this stuff before he can even get into it. And he's picking it up, and he's starting to fume, and he's, and he's getting grumpy. And, and then he puts his iPod in, ready for his, he puts his iPod in to listen to worship music. <laughs> well, the whole time he's got, you know, worship music going on in his head, what's in his heart is he hates that dog. In fact, if he ever sees the dog, he's going to kill the dog. He's imagining ways he's going to take the dog out. He's fuming about a neighbor. Who would let this dog out? Who would, who would let their dog just roam around and do that? And, and the more Joe thought about it, the more irritated and upset he got. Now, if you know Joe, it's kind of funny seeing him. I could just see him. Just fuming. In fact, after he finished the yard all night long, he kept pulling back the curtains to see if he could see the dog. Because he was going to go out there and give that dog a piece of his mind or give it, you know, a good kick or something. So he kept looking all night long. Goes to bed, still mad. Wakes up in the morning. He's still mad, still irritated. Anybody ever carry anything for like more than five minutes? Yeah. So you can relate. He's frustrated. He's still angry. And he's still thinking, man, if I ever see this neighbor, this, see this dog, that's it. It's over. It's going to be ugly. I can't imagine Joe out there. I, thought, I would imagine he's going to tell me he's out there all night in camouflage with a gun, you know, <laughs> waiting for the dog to step into the yard. Well, um, the Holy Spirit now gets involved this morning, and Joe's thinking about it, still upset. And the first thing the Holy Spirit whispered to his heart was, Joe, you need to love your neighbor. The Bible teaches that. Well, Lord, he's not a very good neighbor. It'd be easier to love him if he keep his dog in his own yard. Then the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart again and says, Joe, well, you need to love your, your enemies. You know, there's not a lot of wiggle room in the Bible for getting out of love. Have you figured that one out yet? <laughs> Got to love your enemy. If, he, if you don't, can't love him as a neighbor and you hate his guts, and the Bible, Jesus said, love those who curse you, you know, bless those who curse you. Got to love your enemy, Joe. He's still not convinced, still not happy. And then this thought, this God thought, crosses Joe's mind. In fact, the Holy Spirit said to him, Joe, if picking up this poop 
can be used by me. Yes, the Holy Spirit uses the word poop. If picking up this poop can be used by me to save your neighbor, is it worth it? It's like, oh, God, that's not fair. But the point was clear. If you can love this guy, even though he's not blessing you, he's cursing you, if you can care for him and not burn a bridge there, not give him an earful next time you see him, and not kill his dog, which would make it very hard to have a relationship with this guy, is it worth it, Joe, if this somehow builds a bridge that ends up where he comes to know me? And then instantly, it's all happening like this. Joe uh, had this phrase came to his mind. You might be wondering, what's with the 99 for one? Well, it's from the story in Matthew 18. Joe, again, God-inspired moment, thought of the parable where Jesus tells a parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 for one. Now, let me make it clear because somebody after the first service says, I don't get it. The shepherd left the 99 for one. Get it? Cool, huh? And so Joe's like, ah. And he just saw this picture. And then this phrase, and I am the one. And I am the one. The shepherd, Jesus, left the 99 for me. He, He sought me. What happened? What happened in Joe's heart? How did he go from wanting to, to commit dogicide, <laughs> from going to the point where he hated his neighbor and hated the dog to where he actually had a change of perspective, a change of heart? Well, it's as he began to see things from God's perspective, as he began to have the heart of God. My prayer for you, and it has been all week long, and I prayed in here last night, laid hands on every one of these chairs, asking God to do this, that he would give you more of his heart today that you would leave here with more of his heart than you came with. I hope you have some of his heart. I hope you know his heart. But I want you to leave today with even more of his heart for people, more of his love. Probably the best-known scripture verse in the world uh, is John 3.16. And even if you don't know it or can't quote it, you've seen uh, at games, you've seen the banners. I mean, if you've seen something like that before, you know. In the end zone somewhere, John 3.16, and somebody's waving it. And, and even maybe out of curiosity, you've looked, well, what is that verse about? What's the story? Well, let me tell you a little bit of the background to this verse before I jump into it. The guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and it's nighttime. Why he came at night, we can only speculate. Maybe because he didn't want anybody to see him going to Jesus. But anyhow, he shows up at Jesus' door and, and, uh, and begins to have this conversation. He says to Jesus, I know that you're from God because of the great miracles you're doing, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus cuts right to the heart and says, Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, a little insight into Nick. He is a very religious, respected teacher, elder, a part of the ruling political party. I mean, this guy's got it all. And he's Jew. And in the Jewish mindset, because he was Jew, that was good enough. Yes, I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. Yes, I'm going to go to be with God forever. Yes, I'm looking forward to the Messiah because I'm a Jew. And what Jesus made it clear, and I do not have the time to get into it this morning, but what he made it clear to Nick is, Nick, your religious pedigree is not the issue. That's not enough. You've got to be born again. You've got to have this encounter with God that changes you from the inside out. And then he wants Nicodemus to understand something about the love of God. And he wants him to get this, and that's when he uses these, these words in John 3, 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn his people. He sent him to save them. He sent Jesus to save us. And there is a reason why this verse is so powerful. It's a reason why it's so popular. It's a reason why so many people have heard it. Because in these two verses, are the essence. it's the essence of the gospel, what we call the good news. 
God loved us so much that he wanted to have a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he, he loves you so much that he sent his very best, his one and only son. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice, the, the life of his son, so that you and I could be restored and have a relationship with God the Father as we believe in him. You see, love is the ultimate motivator. That's what we see here. That's what we understand. And the ultimate goal is relationship. God wants to have a relationship with us. And the ultimate sacrifice was paid for that all to be possible. God gave his son his very best for you and me. So what are the great truths of God's love for us? What are some great truths I want us to see this morning? Here's the first one. Number one, if you're taking notes. God loves the world more than we can possibly imagine. God loves the world more than we can even begin to imagine. We have a great big God. You may have noticed the word big on the back wall. The series is called Big, and I want you to see the big heart of God. We have a great big heart with a great big heart for a great big world with a great big need. God loves all. He loves everyone. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, 19, that the love of God surpasses knowledge. His prayer for the church in Ephesus and God's prayer for us and my prayer for you is that we would know, come to know and understand this love of God. But then Paul inserts this, I want you to know the love of God, but the truth is, it goes beyond your ability, the human capacity to fully comprehend the love of God. We will never completely get it. I want you to, just humor me for a second, I want you to think about somebody that you really love. Somebody that you think about all the time, that you like spending time with, that you like playing with, that you like hanging out with. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's somebody across the room you got the hots for, but think about somebody. Somebody right now that you are madly, passionately in love with them. In fact, you ache when you're not around them. My grandson, Caleb, uh, I saw him yesterday. For the first time in 10 days, we were gone. And uh, when I saw Caleb, and he's only like 14, 15 months old, but when I saw him, I gave him a big hug, and I said, Grandpa aches when he's gone from you. And I do. That kind of love. Think about that kind of love you have, hopefully, for at least one person in your life. Now, with me, let me connect the dots for you. Now imagine loving everyone all the time, no matter what, with that kind of love. Not just your family, not just your friends, not just the people you like, not just the people like you, but loving everyone all the time, no matter what, with that same kind of passion and love. Imagine that. The truth is we can't. Our brains go, tilt. We, we have a hard time loving one person or a handful of people that way. To, to imagine loving the entire world that way is way bigger than we can possibly comprehend or understand. But that's exactly the love God has for everyone who has lived, is living, or who will ever live on this planet. This last Wednesday morning, I went up a spot I like to go to on the hillside above the valley to pray. And I like to, once or twice a week, just get up there and it gives me perspective. And until it gets like minus something degrees, I, I usually go up and spend an hour, hour and a half with my Bible, my journal, and just some time in prayer. Well, I'm up Wednesday morning up on the hill. And if you remember Wednesday, it's raining, it's drizzling, it's a miserable day. I mean, if you like weather like that, I'll pray for you. I don't understand you. <laughs> but it was that kind of day, and I'm sitting up there, and, and, I'm, and I'm feeling pretty gray and drizzly myself. I have had the toughest summer I've had in my life, starting with cancer diagnosed in June and having prostate cancer surgery, having two great heroes mine die. I've had a tough summer for me. I'm sitting up there on the hill, and I'll be honest with you, where my focus was at that moment was all on me, 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 me. I was thinking about me, and I was feeling pretty miserable and pretty bad and, and not feeling very inspired, and, and, and I'm just thinking, God, this, what? 
Well, then I saw this lady walking up the hill towards me. And she's got a dog with her. I think it was a dog. It was a little thing, <laughs> drenched, looked kind of like a wet rat, really. But she's dragging this dog up the hill with her. And I saw her face, and it was one of the saddest faces I've ever seen. She's walking, her body language. She's like, every step was laborious. And, and she's got this dog that she's not even paying attention to. And she was wet. And, she just, and the look on her face was just this utter depression and sadness. About five minutes later, a guy just down the street from me, I mean, just a couple um, driveways down, pulls out of his driveway in his truck. You know how sometimes we guys, when we get mad, we drive really stupid. Maybe you don't, I do sometimes. So this guy's pulling out of his driveway, and I caught his eyes. I caught his face, and I could see that he was mad. Oh, man. Like he went 15 rounds with his wife, and he lost. I mean, it was, he was so ticked off. And he's backing up out of his driveway, and he throws it into drive and peels off and bolts down the hill way too fast. So I see this woman sad with this really, maybe because of the ugly dog, but sad. <laughs> this guy who's mad and looks like he's ready to just take somebody out, bolting down the hill. And then it started to clear just a little bit, just for a moment. Didn't get sunny and blue, but the rain stopped. And my eyes began to shift into the thousands of homes below me. And I started to think about the tens of thousands of people who live in those homes. And I wondered, God, are they broken? Are they in marriages where they are getting just destroyed? Finances that are broken? Are they struggling with health issues? Do they get up in the morning and they don't even want to go through another day? Or maybe they get up and they slap a happy face on, but the truth is they are not happy. And there's no life, there's no purpose, there's no meaning. And I began to think about the tens of thousands, tens of thousands in our county, and as, below me as I just look at, who are far from God. And for a moment, a brief moment, my focus shifted from me. And I began to think about the people that God loves. And I think in that moment, I began to see and understand the love of God just a little bit better than I did before I went up on the hill that day. God loves all. He loves the, all the world. He sees it all. He loves it all no matter what. But there's something more to it than that. God not only loves us, but his love drove him to action. His love drove him to do something. Number two, your second point in your outline, God loves the world so much that he sacrificially gave his best to reach us. God not only loves all of us, no matter what, all the time, blows my mind, can't even comprehend it. But beyond that, God gave his very best. He sacrificed his very best for you and me. Jesus said, God loved the world so much that he sent me to die. And here's my concern. Here's my, my, my real deep worry is that some of us have forgotten that or we don't completely understand it. Maybe you've been around Christianity for a while and you've been a Christ follower for a while. And the impact of the sacrifice that God made for you is something that you've grown a little numb to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loves me, this I know. Got it, boob, now move on. And I told my wife when we took a walk on Friday night, I said, my biggest worry about this weekend, honey, is that people won't really hear, that they won't get it, that they won't understand, that, they, that they'll, they'll just think, yeah, I got it already. Yeah, the lo God loves me and he sent Jesus. I got it. But they won't have a heart that truly understands and gets it. As a father with four kids and three grandchildren and another one do any moment. My love has cost me at times. Uh, I, I, 
amazing to me at, at times where I've opened my wallet and mysteriously it's been emptied. And if, if you have children, you've probably experienced that. But sometimes my love has cost me. Sometimes my love has cost me uh, inconvenience and time. I mean, have you ever been to a middle school band concert? <laughs> now, I love middle schoolers, and I love band, and I was in band, and my parents endured it too, but I, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting there doing this. My love's cost me some time and inconvenience. My love has cost me some stress. Ever tried to teach a 15-year-old daughter how to drive a stick shift? <laughs> I gave up. I gave her to her mother. I was... Yeah. Ever sat at home waiting for your kid to come home after curfew? My love has cost me some stress. My love has cost me, it's been tough at times, but you know what, my love, never, listen to me, never has my love cost me a son. Never has my love cost me a child. Let it sink in deep right now. Let it refresh in your heart. Be, be a, a, a fresh awakening in your heart right now. God loves you so much that he gave. He sacrificed his very best for you and for me. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Romans 5.8, Paul wrote this. He said, the proof of God's amazing love is this, that it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The proof of God's amazing love for you and me is this. He didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just tell us. He showed us. He demonstrated while we were far from God. Before some of us even acknowledged he existed, before we ever loved him or even liked him. The Bible says that while we were still sinners far from God, he sent his son to die for us. And here's a question I wrestle with at times. It's one I want you to wrestle with. What am I willing to do to sacrifice for those who are far from God? What am I willing to do and sacrifice for those who are far from him? In other words, how much am I willing to give up for love? How much am I willing to be like God and to give up and to sacrifice for the sake of others. And guys, make no mistake about it. God wants us to have his love for others, and that's point number three in your outline. God not only loves us and has sacrificed everything his best for us, but here's the bottom line. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where it really gets hard. God wants you and me to love others with that kind of love, with that same kind of love. If I'm to follow God, if I'm to honor God, if I'm to say that I'm a Christ follower, if I am to be like him, then I must love as he loved. I must love as he loves the people around me. I've got to be more like him. Paul wrote this again in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He said, be imitators of God. Wow, that just blows, that's, seriously? I'm supposed to be like God? God, do you know me? Have you seen? But the, it's not a suggestion here. It's a command. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's that sacrifice part of the picture again. But the admonition here, the command here is that we're to be like God, to be just like him, to be imitators of him. And if I am truly and fully to be an imitator of God, then I need to have his heart. I need to be willing to sacrifice. I need to be willing to do what he did. In fact, my prayer needs to be, Father, break my heart with the things that break your heart. God, give me your eyes. Help me see the people around me the way you see them. Let me just give you a little insight into something. You want to have your world turned upside down. You want to have your world rocked. Pray that prayer. 
God, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. You pray that sincerely. You pray that with truth. You pray that really wanting that to happen in your life. And I promise you, it's going to ruin your life in a really good way. But it's going to turn everything around. It's going to, it'll change everything. You pray, God, give me your eyes so that when I see my neighbor, when I see the guy on the bus bench, when I see the woman in line at Fred Meyer, when I'm you know, waiting for my coffee at Starbucks, when I am there and I see people, God, give me your eyes. Help me to see them the way you see them. You pray that prayer and say, God, give me your heart. It will rock your world. It'll change everything. And it should. If you're to be an imitator of God, if you're to be like the Father, as we walk in relationship with God, as we come to know him, as we come to understand his love better for us and for all of mankind, then our hearts will come in sync with his. I talk with people from time to time. They go, I, I can never be a Christ follower because you don't know me. I'm so messed up. And I can never be like you. I can never be good enough. And I go, whoa, whoa, time out. A, you don't know me because I, you wouldn't say that if you did. And B, it's not about what you can do. It's what God does in you. You just fall in love with him. You embrace his love. You say yes to the love of God. You let that love into your life, and it will transform you from the inside out. People you never cared about before, you'll begin to care about because God, your Father, who loves you and loves them, will work in your heart to change you in a way that you'll love them like you never could before. God will work in you to transform you from the inside out as you understand him and understand his heart and understand his love for the world and his love for you. Two weekends ago, on a Friday, I officiated at my stepdad's funeral, Frank Mayo. And uh, he was 84, suffered for quite a while, was ready to go home. But it's one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. Saying goodbye to my stepdad, who's really been my dad for 28 years. A hero of my life. It was hard. He, the service was on a Friday, and then uh, about 30 hours later, uh, this, the Saturday, about 9.30, my Uncle Don passed away. Don Bubna stood on the stage with me about six years ago. And my uncle is a hero, has always been a hero to me. Again, suffered from cancer for a while, ready to go home to be with Jesus. But I was 4 o'clock last Sunday afternoon at his service. I didn't officiate it, but I spoke at it. And I, as you can imagine, this won't be any big surprise to you. I just wept. I wailed. I wept as I sat there listening to person after person after person talk about the influence that my uncle had in their life. And I wept as I tried to read something I had written about how he's always stood by me, even when I was far from God. Even when I was mad and angry at God and every Christ follower on planet Earth, I got a postcard from my uncle. You know what he said? I believe in you. I wanted to kill him. <laughs> but I loved him. And he's been a mentor to me and a hero of my life for all my life. After the service, my cousin Jeff, his son, Jeff Bubna, grabbed me, gave me a big old bear hug. He's from Alaska, and, and he looks like a big old bear. He gave me a big hug, and he whispered in my ear, Kurt, I see a lot of my dad in you. <laughs> I see a lot of my dad in you. No one could have blessed me more in those words at that moment. Why? Because I love my uncle, and I know he loved me. Because I valued what my uncle values. I, I, I care about what he cared about. The things that matter to him matter to me. And for somebody to say, I see a lot of my dad and you. I see a lot of 
Don Bubna knew was the greatest blessing I could receive at that moment. It was so encouraging to me. And let me connect the dots for you. If and when you understand the love of God for you, if and when you understand what he has done for you, if and when you get it, to the fact the degree and depth that you get that, it will change you. And you will want to be like him. Just like I want to be like my uncle, you will want to be like him. What God values, you will value. What he cares about, you'll care about. What he loves, you'll love. Because you know the love of God. And you know the love of God for people. Why do I, on a fairly regular basis, ask you to bring at least one item every week for the single parent pantry? And it can help us keep that stock to help dozens of single moms, especially every week. Why? Why did, why did Pastor Matt ask you to bring hundreds of pounds of candy and drop bags off of candy? Why are we doing a Halloween party? Why? Why are we expanding next door into 35,000 square feet or so and, and building a, a, a larger auditorium, which, by the way, please today feel free to go over and take a little self-guided tour. It's open up. You can take a look at it. Why are we doing that? Why are we building a bigger auditorium? Why, are we, why have I asked you to sacrifice and to give so, so often, so frequently, so much to make that possible? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it so that I can be just famous and rich and fat and happy? No! I drive a 12-year-old Buick for the record, okay? That's not the point. It's for one reason and one reason only, so that we can reach more people, people far from God, with the love of God. That's why. So that we can reach people that are far from him. Did you know that in our county, and maybe you do know this, but let me just surprise some of you, that 90%, and I'm not making this up, 90% of our county does not go to church anywhere. Now, they might show up on Christmas and Easter someplace, but for all intents and purposes, they are unchurched or de-churched. And most of them, many of them, far from God. They have no viable, meaningful connection or relationship with God, and certainly none with this church. 90%. Did you know that the state of Washington is the 50th most unchurched state in the Union? We win! Oh, wait, that's not good. We, are, we live, guys, and I'm thrilled to live in a mission field. To live in a place where God has put us with so much opportunity. We can be overwhelmed by that, depressed by that, struggle with that. Or we can say, God, you've put us here for a reason. Because there are so many, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, just in this area and the surrounding area that are far from him, that don't know his love. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 3. God is patient. How many of you are glad that God is patient, that he waited for you? God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, to perish. Instead, he wants all people to turn away from their sins. God doesn't want anybody to perish. And he loved the world so much that he sent his very best. He sacrificed the ultimate gift so that we could be restored to relationship with him, come to know him. In fact, let me just ask you, how many of you were unchurched, de-churched, or unsaved, or all of the above prior to coming to East Point? Raise your hand real high. Look around, guys. Look around. Last week, a couple weeks ago, 35 people about got baptized in water here. Last Sunday, 10 new believers packets were taken from, from the back. Why, are those, why does that matter? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why. Ian, I'm going to ask you to come up right now. Um, I want to finish with a little story with an interview. 
And I had some stories I could tell you. I have stories. Surprise. But um, I uh, was talking with Pastor Jeff, and he and Ian had met this week, and Ian had told him some of his story, and Jeff told me, and I, I got so blessed, we emailed Ian and said, Ian, can you come this Sunday and share a little bit about your story? So let's give it up for Ian Reeves, my friend. Yeah. Ian, in just the brief little time that we have, would you tell us uh, where you were before you began a relationship with Christ? Um, well, I moved to Spokane about five years ago. Uh, and when I got here, things fell apart pretty quick. I was absolutely not even close to God. Um, I ended up moving in with a friend's friend's girlfriend, um, had the other bedroom in the, uh, the place between two guys. But eventually things got rocky between them, and we ended up out on the street one night at about 3 in the morning. So, yeah, ended up sleeping under a bridge a couple times, ended up... Uh, there's, there's a really dirty, run-down apartment building downtown. I can't name it off the top of my head. It, it's pretty much the lowest of the low. You go there when you can't go anywhere else, and they wouldn't take us. Um, so we ended up actually sleeping on the roof of the place one night since we needed somewhere to be. So I guess we got in, kind of. But, yeah. <laughs> so you were, for a while, homeless. And uh, tell us about that time under the Hamilton Street Bridge. I love that part of the story. Um, well... Uh, I was doing drugs. My back went out on me when I actually had a job, so I wasn't able to hold it down. Um, just lots of different issues were coming to bear all at once. And, uh, and it came to the point where all the things that I did to try to make things work didn't work anymore. Um, and at that point, I praise God. Um, my heart was actually in a place where I was willing to even ask. Mm. Um, and I did. I was down low enough where I was like, God, I don't care where you take me. I just want to know who you are. Uh, is it, do you want me to be Muslim? Do you want me to be Buddhist? And, and I cringed. I said, even if I have to be Christian, I'll, I'll do it, you know. But, but something. Who are you? What's going on? Um, and, and sure enough, the next day, he responded. Um, I didn't necessarily recognize it as that at first. Uh, there were, uh, I was out walking around, and I hadn't seen anybody proselytizing the whole time I was out. Um, and there was uh, a couple of the people from the Slavic Baptist Church downtown, um, and, uh, and they came up telling me about how horrible television is and how I shouldn't dance and I didn't drink and, uh, and Jesus is the way. And, uh, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, stay away from me. Uh, but, but then I went home and, and I'm looking at this in my hand and I'm thinking to myself, I have not seen anybody out doing this the whole time uh, since I moved here to Spokane. Um, but I'm not willing to go out, out on a limb based on this. So, so I prayed it up to God again. I'm like, tell you what, um, if you're doing this, then, then go ahead, let's do this again. Um, and I'm just sitting on the concrete steps out in front of the apartment just, just talking to him. And, and not 15 seconds later, a couple of Mormons come around the corner. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, point taken, you know. I mean, which, which is interesting in itself because I'd been here for months and I hadn't seen any Mormons going door to door up to that point, which is already part of God's work. Um, because if you've lived here long enough, you know that that doesn't happen very easily. Um, so let me get straight. Yeah. So you cry out to God, <laughs> God, if you're for real, reveal yourself to me. You run into a guy handing out tracts, and then you run into a couple of Mormons, and you see all of this, God's hand in all of yeah. this, saying, I'm for real. I, I'm yeah. here. I love you. Absolutely. Somehow you break down. You give your life to Christ. You become, uh, how did you become a part of East Point and, and a part of uh, our community here? Um, well, God taught me from really early on um, that one of the best ways to be a part of God is to be a part of his community, and that's been a huge part of my healing. Um, I've tried to serve at all the churches that I've been at in some capacity. Um, and when the church that I was a part of disbanded and we all came here, um, I started helping out here at East Point, yeah, too. Yeah, and you've been great. Yeah. 
Tell me how your life has changed since you've become a Christ follower, Ian. Um, well, like I said, God gave me community. Um, God's also given me my girlfriend, Deborah. She's amazing. I've been dating her for a couple years and haven't got a ring on her finger yet. But Dude, pony up, man. What's up with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm in college. Okay, okay, that's right. That's good. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm in college. Um, I go to Eastern. And, uh, and, and for those of you who go to college, you know college can be a really godless place. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. No joke. Wow. Uh, but, but I feel a lot like Joseph in Egypt. Um, I, he is, God is absolutely blessed what I'm doing. Um, I, I went from living under a bridge to, to I've gotten the biggest scholarship, I think, at school a couple years in a row. I've got a transfer honor scholarship for a couple years in a row. I'm going to be graduating with high honors as long as I keep up the track. I learned German. <laughs> that's, that's no small thing right there. Um, and, and I've got a 3.85 GPA. I, it's amazing. And yeah. it's, not, it's not me. It's God's work in me, and hopefully something he's going to, he's going to use in the place that I am um, to bring glory to him. Yeah, so. amen. Well, I wanted you to see a, a visual, a, hear a story firsthand from somebody who's been touched by the love of God and changed. Now, I know that sitting in this room, there are hundreds of stories watching online. Lots of people have stories. But, Ian, thank you for sharing yours with us. Give it up for this guy. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. The question, is there room in your heart for those that are far from him, for people that you normally wouldn't have anything to do with? Will you have the heart of God? Will you love them? Will you leave the 99 for one? Will you put the one? Because once upon a time, you were the one. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the love of God that you demonstrated in sending your son for us that you've made it very clear to us, painfully clear, that you love us more than we can possibly imagine and that you demonstrate that love by sending your son to, to make a way for us to come back, to come to relationship with you. And my prayer has been and will continue to be, God, that you would give us more of your heart, more of, of your, 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 your heart for the lost in our world, where we work, where we play, where we go to school, where we live that you would give us more, Lord, of your heart for people. That we would understand how big it is, how amazing it is, and that we would constantly come to this place where we say, God, we need more of you so that we can see more of you revealed in our city and beyond. Keep your eyes closed and your head bowed just for a minute. Maybe here today and you've been investigating Christianity. You've been thinking about what it would be like to be a Christian, a Christ follower. And today, maybe Ian's story just sparks me. He thought, wow, if that guy was that far and that messed up and yet God found him, maybe God wants me. Maybe God can change me. Maybe as I talked about the love of God and the sacrifice that he paid, something just clicked today for you. That something in your heart is just, you get it now. God loved you. He loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And he wants you to know him, to walk with him. He wants you to embrace that love. If you get that today and you're ready, I'm sure you still have some questions or things you may not understand, but you know and you know you need to give your life to Christ. You need to respond to this love and accept his love for you. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you just to make these words yours, to own this prayer right now. Father, I come to you broken and in need. I have tried my best to do what I could, but God, it's, I see it's not good enough. And I am a sinner who needs your saving grace, who needs your life and your forgiveness. 
So I come to you right now, admitting that freely, admitting that need, and embracing, accepting the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness that you offer to me. I accept what Jesus did for me on that cross. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice you paid and making a way for me to come to you. And I give you my all. I surrender all that I am to you right now. And I accept all that you are for me. Now, if that's your heart, your desire, just in your own way, say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. And as you do, you become his child. You enter into relationship with God. It's the beginning of a great journey with him. Father, for those making that decision right now, show them what this means and what you're going to do. And let them know that they now are yours, part of your family, part of you, part of the kingdom of God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish one last song. I love this song. It's a declaration. Let's sing it together. And I'll come back and wrap it up. God's heart, big heart, for big world in need. My prayer is that you'll leave here today understanding more of that and with more of that than you've ever had before. If you need prayer for anything today, we've got prayer team members that will be down front. If you'd like communion, it's available on both sides of the room. If you did, begin your life as a Christ follower. Tell somebody. Please let them know. You'll make their day. They'll be excited for you. And then back on the tables as you leave, there's a pack that says for new Christians on it. Pick one of those up as you leave today. And may you go with the heart of God. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.